So as we sit here this morning, I don't want to come to this conclusion that everybody's sitting here saved. I hope everyone sitting here is saved, but today I think is the opportunity for us to finish 2023 and start 2024 with a vibrant relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it's not enough just to know his name. We've got to have a relationship with him, amen? You know, and Jesus has wanted this relationship with mankind from the very beginning. Think back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, they had this perfect relationship with Jesus. God loves to have a relationship with his children. And the Bible says they walked with God, they talked with God. Can you imagine? Isn't that beautiful? But because of this awful thing that happened called sin, we've been separated from God. And ever since then, God still wants a relationship with us. The Bible says in John chapter six, verse 44, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Lord has to draw us. That's how much he loved us is that he draws us to himself. He's the one who changes our heart. He's the one who shows us the way. And God has been doing this throughout mankind that he wants a relationship with us. And we celebrated this past week that Jesus has come, our redeemer, our rescuer. He has come to bring that way of salvation. So this morning, as we walk through this, I just wanna ask the question this morning, are you saved? Do you know what it means to be saved? Do you know what it means? Do you know how to be saved? You know, as a church, we do a great job of preaching, teaching the Bible, but I don't know that I've ever preached a message like this. So this is a new one for me, so I'm very thankful for the privilege. The privilege to know that God pursues us, that God wants a relationship with me, that God wanted a Chris, right? I know all of you wanted a Chris too, right? Maybe not. But God wanted a Chris, and he wanted a Joe, and he wanted a Rhoda, and he wanted a relationship with each and every one of us, and he made a way. And we've got to be reminded that in the scriptures that Jesus died for everybody. Amen? Say amen to that. That's a good thing, right? Jesus died for everybody. There's no one in this room who's apart from that. This is really good news. So there, as we walk through, I want to look at an interaction between Jesus and a man and what we can learn from that, what we can glean from that, and to see how we must be saved. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. I'm gonna start in verse 17 through 22. Mark 10, 17 through 22. Now the Bible says in verse 17, now as he was going out on the road, one came running knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures, treasure in heaven and come and take up the cross and follow me. Verse 22, but he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Let's pray. 
Father, this is your word. This is where you've directed us today, Father, and I pray that your word would be living and active today, Lord, that you would use it to speak to our hearts and our lives today, Father, that you would draw us closer to you today, Father, that you would help us to answer this question this morning, that are we truly saved? Do we truly have a relationship with you? Do we uh, have you become Lord and Savior of our lives? Lord, that's what you expect from us. Because if you're not Lord of all, you're truly not Lord at all. So Lord, I pray you would just move in our midst this morning. You would help us to see ourselves this morning the way you see us. Help us, Father, to come to that place this morning where we recognize where we're at in our walk with you, where we're at in our relationship with you. And Lord, I pray as we walk through these verses, you would help us to truly see on your terms, what it means to be saved, the path of salvation, Father, that is in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, I pray you'd help me today, Father. This is a little uncomfortable for me today, Father. I feel a little out of sorts today, so I pray, Lord, that you would just speak through me, Father. And Lord, I pray that I thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. So we pick up this account with Jesus He's with his disciples. He's in the region of Judea. He's outside the Jordan. He's on his way ultimately to Jerusalem. And as they're traveling, this young man comes running up to Jesus and he kneels before Jesus and he asks him this question. He says, teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now think about this. He, he recognizes Jesus for who he is. He recognizes Jesus as a good teacher. And he answers, he asks the specific question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when you think about this rich young ruler, this isn't a parable, this is an actual conversation between Jesus and this young man. And it's so important that it's actually in three of the four gospels. It's in Matthew 19, Luke 19, and then here in Mark chapter 10. And we've got to see that there's a reason why Jesus put this in his word. There's a reason why he wants us to see this this morning. And I think we have to put ourselves in the situation here as this young man, as this young man who's coming to Jesus with a question. And we need to be able to analyze ourselves with his reaction and with the way he responds to Jesus. Because it really teaches us a lot about who we are and where our relationship with him truly is. So my Bible, this section is titled The Rich Young Ruler. And a few things about this man are pretty obvious. This guy would have been a Jew. He would have been educated because he's wealthy. He would have been educated. He would have known the law. And we see that as we go through this. And he probably would have came from a good home, probably from a good relationship with his parents. Again, I'm just making some assumptions here based on what we know from this text. So he asked Jesus, he says, Jesus, what must I do? Excuse me, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life. Now Jesus looking at him says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Now why do you think it's so important that Jesus point this young man who's coming to him, calling him good teacher? And when you see these two words together and they're Greek and I don't know how to pronounce them so I'm not gonna even try um, like some people do. And I really appreciate that. But these two words put together is something very special. This isn't something that he would have called one of the rabbis. This isn't something he would have referred to someone else. He is recognizing, in my opinion, 
he is recognizing that he's talking to Jesus. He's recognizing that he is talking to the one who can actually answer the question. And see, that's so important for us. We've got to understand that Jesus is who he is. Amen? And that if we want salvation, it comes at his terms. When we see him say, good teacher, Jesus says, there's no one good. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. He's pointing him to God. He's helping him to see that the two are one, that God and Jesus are together in this. And this is something very important for a Jew to understand that Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. He has come. And if anyone should have known that, it should have been those who were educated in the law. You know, so many times we can, we can have the right posture we can come before Jesus, we can be on our knees, we can ask the right questions, right? We can even say the right things. But so often, we just, we really don't like the answers we get, right? Isn't that true? We just don't like the answers. There's, for some reason, we really like things on our terms, don't we? We do. And I want us to see in this that Jesus has his own terms. So kneeling and talking with Jesus So you realize that Jesus truly is the son of God. We need to solidify that in our minds. He was fully man and fully God at the same time. So let's go on in the story just a little bit. Verse 19. So Jesus goes on and says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So Jesus is taking this opportunity and he points him back to the law. Right? He points him to the second table. Think of the Ten Commandments, the first table, the first five commandments, the second, the second five commandments. And he's pointing him to the second, second um, table of the law. And all of these have to do with our relationship with other people, right? Our relationship with other people. And so he's telling him, hey, what about these commands? What about committing adultery? What about murder? What about stealing? What about lying? What about not honoring and respecting your parents, honoring and obeying your parents? And this guy has a very interesting answer to this. He says in verse 20, and he answers and says to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Now, how many of you believe that? How many of you believe that this guy was able to keep those particular five commandments from his youth up? He's probably referring to the time when he was bar mitzvahed at the age of 13. He's saying, since then, like I've nailed it. I've got every one of these right. How many believe that? I don't believe so, right? Like he never told a lie. Like he's lying now, right? Matthew chapter 19, verse 17. This is the same account. Jesus adds a little bit. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Matthew adds that we find life as we keep the commandments. Book of James tells us in chapter 2, verse 10, that whoever shall keep the law, the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. See, what Jesus is trying to point this young man to is that he needs to come to this point where he realizes that he's a sinner. Because when we come to the point of realizing that we're a sinner, repentance follows, right? The Bible says without, the, without repentance, there's no forgiveness of sin. Now, thinking about this guy and his ability to 
understand and as he's looking at this law and understanding that now he's, he's feeling like he can handle these things on his own, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31, just a page or two over. That's what a Jewish man, this would be the most important scripture to him. This is really from Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine. It's called the Shema, which is titled, uh, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word, which basically means to hear. And this is a section of verses that they would have quoted to themselves over and over and over. It would have been so important for them to know these verses. And this is what Jesus is referring to in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31. Jesus answered him and said, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it. This, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there's no other commandment greater than these. It says that Jesus was going backwards through this. Hey, if you think you are keeping these commands, what about how your relationship is to other people? Think about that verses that we just read as an if-then statement. If I love the Lord with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, then it's very natural for me to love others. It's very natural for me to start loving my neighbor. I believe Jesus was trying to help this young man see that he's not doing that very well because he's not doing the first section right either. That has to be the main thing in our life. We have to love Jesus with everything. When he says our heart, mind, soul, and strength, what did he leave out? There's nothing left out, right? But so many times in our own pride, and if you are dealing with pride, go back and listen to the revival messages on humility completely will wipe that away for you. Amen? And who didn't need that, right? I know I did. But this young man, he still has his own agenda. He still has his own thoughts. He's still coming to Jesus with these preconceived notions that, you know, I'm really looking for something that I can just add to my life. One of the books that I'm reading right now, it's called All In, and he talks about this in, inverted gospel. Instead of looking to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, instead of looking to him and following him, we want Jesus somehow to, to come, come right behind us. We want Jesus to follow us. We want to want to add Jesus to what we're already doing, right? Isn't that true? It's true, right? Just not for Chris. It's true. We want to do what we want to do. Go back to Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 20. You this young man, he goes and says, I have kept all these things from my youth. And we know that's impossible to keep the law apart from the saving grace of Jesus, apart from the victory you have over sin and death in Jesus. The Bible says in Luke 5, 31 through 32, Jesus said and answered to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but, re but sinners to repentance. We must realize that we are sinners, we have broken God's law, and we need help. We need to be rescued and redeemed. See, there's a certain type of people that Jesus is looking for, right? He's looking for those that are lost, He's looking for those that need a physician. He's looking for those 
that recognize they have a need in their life for something. We must realize that we're sinners. We must realize we're broken God's law. We need to come to that point. Romans 2, 4 says, or do you not, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? 2 Corinthians 7, 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. The Bible says in John 1, 8 through 10, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have to come to this point realizing that we are in need of a savior. It has to happen this way. I know 25 years ago for myself and for my wife, we had this moment where we recognized that we were the problem. And see, so many times as Christians, and I see this as we are from the outside looking in, right? We're first generation at this, still trying to figure out our way. But so many people in this culture have grown up knowing the name of Jesus. They go to church on Sunday morning knowing the name of Jesus, but they've never surrendered their heart and life to Jesus. Amen, right? They don't know what the Bible says. They don't know how to interpret their Bible, but they've sat in the church pew. They've held a Bible. They've prayed around the dinner table, but they've yet to know a relationship with Jesus. You know, there's this thing called responsibility. We have to come to this place where we understand that we... I am responsible for my sin. You know, my wife's not responsible for my sin. I am, right? Now, we live in a culture doesn't like to take responsibility for anything, right? If somebody bumps into your car, you just automatically expect, hey, you, you're the one at fault, right? None of us have ever driven crazy or wrong or, right, or spun tires or anything, right? Like we do wrong things. But we always think that it's someone else's fault. Or, we, or the other thing we love to do is we love to justify our actions, right? Well, so-and-so does it, right? Or, well, that's the way my dad did it. That's the way my mom did it. That's the way Grandpa Joe did it, right? We want to justify our actions. Well, I'm just going to let you know that none of that's going to work. We have to take responsibility for our actions. But one of the things that we also like to do is we love to play the victim. We love to, to bring home that victim mentality. And I know that there's lots of people in this room who have suffered many wrong things. And I don't wanna minimize that at all. But you can't hang on to that. You can't let, let that stand in the way of you coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Amen? Can't take it away, but you've got to forgive and move on and look at what you are responsible for. You're responsible for your sin, the things that you have done. You can't be responsible for anyone else. We need to quit playing the victim and allow Jesus to wash us, make us new. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, in this section of scripture, <clears throat> I've written next to where he answers in verse 20 and he says, I've kept all these things from my youth up. I wrote whatever in my Bible. It's a biblical term, right? It means I don't believe this guy. But think about ourselves. How many times are we exactly this guy? Oh God, that's, that's not me. Merlin's preaching on humility. Well, I'm glad he's finally recognized me in this church. 
right? How humble I am. That was a, not referring to myself here. But we do that at times. Or we think, well, I'm glad so-and-so was listening. Glad so-and-so came to church hear that sermon. I know I've done it myself. But we've got to see that if God brought you here this morning, and these are the verses that we're reading, guess who they're for? Raise your hand if they're for you. Yeah, they are. They're for us. And as long as we have that mentality, then we've got to do something with them, right? We have to do something with them. Mark 10, 21, then Jesus looking at him, loved him and says to him, and I love this verse. So Jesus knows this guy is not telling the truth. It says, yet he loved him. Now, I don't know about you, but I love that verse. Here's this guy who's asking Jesus the right question, but he's not willing to admit that he's a sinner. He's not willing to admit that he has broken the law and he still has the love of God towards him. I don't know about you, but I love that fact, right? How many of you have messed up? Yeah, amen, right? And yet God still loved us. He graciously pulled us back. Sometimes it's a, it's a brother who kind of grabs us by the back of the neck and says, what are you doing, brother? Sometimes it's we get caught in our sin because the Bible teaches us that God knows everything, right? He knows what you're looking at on your phone when nobody's around. Right? He knows where you're spending your money, where you're not spending your money. He knows whether you're studying the Bible or just goofing off. Like God knows all that. And you can fool a lot of people, but you're never once going to fool God. I've heard young people say, well, I got my parents fooled. They think I'm a this or they think I'm a that. But you'll never fool God. Let's look at another account of someone experiencing this love of Jesus. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're gonna look at the first 10 verses. Luke 19, verse one, the Bible says, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, saw him, and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus says to him today, salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we have a different account here. We have this account with Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. He was also rich like this other guy is. <coughs> is a very different response to Jesus. He's willing to climb up into a tree just to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. And as Jesus is going by, he looks up in the tree and he calls him out by name and says, I must go to your house. And so he goes back with Zacchaeus. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus was joyful that Jesus would take time to spend a few moments with him. He was joyful, even to the point of repentance. And now he's willing to give his money away and correct all the wrongs that he had done. 
That's what repentance looks like. That's what it looks like for us to truly meet Jesus on his terms. But I love the way he closes that in verse 10. He says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Again, Jesus is coming for a very specific people. Those that are lost. Those that are in need of a savior. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Have you ever experienced that? Have you experienced that new life in Jesus? Has Jesus' love changed you? Let's go back to the Mark chapter 10, back to verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and take up the cross and follow me. Jesus, knowing this man's heart, knowing, now pointing back to the first table of the law, you'll have no other gods before me, you'll have nothing uh, above me, basically. And Jesus is pointing to the fact that this man has, he's got some possessions And I think Jesus is pointing to this because this is where his trust lies, right? This is where he's put his faith is in the things that he has and the things that he can do for himself. Now, I don't want to pick on him because he's rich because we are all rich in this room. We are. We drove here in cars. We have houses. We have at least enough food to get through today, right? That's better off than the vast majority of this world. We are rich, but this guy, he had many things and he was not willing to, deal, to do something with that. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters for either will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and possessions. You know, so many times we come to Jesus, but there's something we just aren't willing to let go of. Something that we wanna hold on to. Maybe it's our career. Maybe it's our, our dreams, our visions, what we wanna do with our life. Has it ever been like that? I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of wanting to do my own thing versus doing what God has called us to do. I remember when my wife came to me and she was a registered nurse. She still is in my book. But she was a registered nurse and she kept coming to me and saying, Chris, like I really want to be a mom. And I'm like, well, you already are. We have three kids. Congratulations, right? She said, no, I, I, I'm not being a mom. Like, I want to be a mom. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she says, well, I want to, I want to come home. You see, the babysitter, she, see, she saw the first steps, first words. Our babysitter was called mom first, right? She said, that's my job. I want to be mom. And I, being the very spiritual man that I was at that time, said, absolutely not, right? We're broke. What are we going to do? We got bills. You're the breadwinner. I'm still in college. I was working full-time, but going to college at night. And and so my wife, the persistent um, jewel that she is, kept asking. And then she started bringing Bible verses. She showed me Titus 2, where the woman is supposed to be a keeper at home. And I said, you know what? I don't understand it. 
but I believe God's word is true, so we need to do this. So she went part-time, and a few months later, she became a full-time mom. She may have regretted that a few times, but not enough to change. And I can tell you that our obedience through that, we never missed a meal. We never missed really anything. Actually, that was the pivotal point in my career. I started getting promoted and making more money, and God just seemed to bless us and bless us because we chose to do what his word said. And I'm not saying that to brag on us. I'm saying we failed a hundred times. That was the time we got it right. Brothers and sisters, when God calls us to obedience, when God calls us to that point where he shows us that he wants to be Lord of our life, but it's something that we have to allow. It's not something he's gonna force his way into or change you without you wanting this. But so many times we are serving two masters, just like this guy is. He is serving, he's wanting what Jesus has to offer, but he's not willing to give up what he has in exchange for that. Turn your Bibles to Mark 8, 34 to 38. A couple pages over. Some of my favorite Bible verses here. The Bible says in verse 34, when he had called his, the people to himself with his disciples also, he says to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus has given us this picture of what it looks like to follow him. And if you look as you walk through those verses, really there's nothing about you in those verses. It's all about who he is. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen, right? Jesus is truth. He is the way, but he's also life. He's life. And I think one of the things that we don't do so well as Christians is to be so joyful about this new life we have in Jesus. You know, the Bible says in 1 John that we are to show this world that God's ways aren't hard right? They're not grievous. It's life. We can smile, right? Following Jesus is a blessing, right? What a privilege that he made a way that we can follow him. Amen? Come on, smile. This is good news, right? This is exactly what I'm talking about. We should be excited that we have the privilege that God pursued us, that God made a way that we can have a relationship with him and that he wants to transform us because who wants our old life? I don't. I don't like that guy. So let's summarize this account a little bit. So this guy, he comes to Jesus, he recognizes who Jesus is. So that's pretty popular. You can probably walk down the street, excuse me, and ask people, do you know who Jesus is? You probably get a lot of people that would say, yeah, I know who that guy is. <clears throat> Maybe not to the same extent that we'd understand. But I think a lot of people would say that. Lots of people as we travel, 
um, live very ungodly lives, but they sit in church on Sunday and they, they know of Jesus. But that's not what we're called to, is it? It's not what we're called to. This guy, he had a desire, like he wanted to be saved. He asked the right question. He was challenged by the law, but he didn't allow it to bring him to the point where he was honest with himself that he's a sinner, that he has broken God's law, that he needs to repent and he needs to turn. He was challenged to search his heart when Jesus asked him to do something with the thing that he holds closest in his life. So turn your Bibles back to Mark 10, verses 22, and let's see. What is this guy's response to Jesus' offer here? As Jesus tells him to take up his cross and to follow him. Verse 22, this is his answer. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. No, right? No. Jesus just told you, like, you can have eternal life. You, here's the answers to the question. And this guy said, eh, I'm good. I'm, I'm sad, but I got too much stuff. I got my own thing going here. He missed his opportunity to follow Jesus. Think about that, church. Now, we don't hear anything else about this guy. He could have gotten saved. We don't know. But what if he didn't? What if this was his only opportunity? And he chose the things of this world over Jesus. So how about you this morning? Do you see your need for a savior? Do you see the need for Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin? Because somebody's gonna pay the penalty for that sin, amen? And Jesus offers a free gift. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two quickly. going to read the first 10 verses, talking about salvation and this new life that we have in Jesus. The Bible says in verse one, and you have made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh out of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, this is the beautiful part, verse four, but God, who's rich in mercy <clears throat> because of his great love, which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. Verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Amen, right? Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, this is something that God does. It's his grace, his favor towards us that no one in this room deserves. No one in this room can ever be good enough to to understand or good enough to earn that love of God. It's something that he has to do for us. We will never be good enough. That grace and God's mercy not getting what we deserve. You guys know what we deserve, right? We broke the law. What do we deserve? We deserve death. And see, when we think about these verses, we have to be serious about this church. 
I know we live in a very cushy culture where lots of people claim the name of Jesus, but this is between you and God. What is your relationship like this morning? How would you answer these questions? Would you walk away sorrowful because, oh man, I've got so much stuff. Because I believe the point that Jesus is trying to make, the point that he's trying to get us to, is that we would quit asking the question, what must I do to be saved? But we would recognize who he is and who we are in light of him. And instead of asking a question, we would beg him and say, Lord, save me. Amen? Because that's what it comes to, right? Standing before an almighty God knowing that he has all authority. He has all power. But he loves us. We have to come to that point where we recognize that, church. Lord, save me. Turn your Bibles to Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. We'll look at another quick account. Luke 18, 9 through 14, the Bible says, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. In verse 13, now he's referring to this other gentleman. He says, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. What's our attitude like this morning? What's our attitude like to the response of what the gospel looks like in our life? Is it something we're just trying to add to our life? Is it something that we like the idea of, but you know what, it's for another time. The Bible also teaches that his spirit will not always strive with man. If God is drawing you to himself, you'd better hop on board because you don't know when that grace is over. You don't know when God's no longer gonna pursue you. You don't know what evil you're gonna do as a result of that. So this morning, we're gonna finish with a song and and an altar call, but I wanna finish with a quick story. So I I love uh, Heroes of the Faith. And one of my favorite evangelists is D.L. Moody here in Chicago back in 1871. He was preaching, and he was preaching on Sunday night, and he was preaching, what are we to do with Christ? That was his text that evening. Uh, Matthew 27, verse two was his text. And as he was preaching, He was telling the people, I want you to go home with this verse and next week we're gonna talk about Calvary and what that looks like in our life and how we can take those verses of what are we supposed to do with Jesus and how do we apply that a week later. And Iris Sanker, you know, he was his song leader. He came up and led the song and as he's leading the song, he never quite finished the hymn. He was singing, Today the Savior Calls. And as they were singing this song, these, this is 1871, so these horse and and buggies start going by, sounding the alarm because Chicago was on fire. 
And if you guys know the story, um, Chicago burned, I believe it was about 10 days. And the church where he was preaching was destroyed. And D.O. Moody never had a chance to go back to that same congregation because many of those people who were there lost their lives in those fires. They never had an opportunity to finish what God was doing in their heart. And so he, he um, made a deal with the Lord that he would never again have an evangelistic message, which was almost always what he did, without an opportunity for people to respond to what God was doing in their life. Not some little sinner's prayer, but someone who needs to repent to come to the altar. Someone who needs Jesus, who recognizes that they're the lost one, that they're the one in need of repentance, they're the one in need of a new life, that they can have that opportunity. And so I've never done this. This is a new thing for me today. So we're gonna give an altar call today. And so if you are that person this morning, so I'd ask for the the worship team to come on up and get ready to sing. But I would just ask you this morning, God is working in your life. If you feel the spirit of God drawing you and bringing you to the point of salvation, maybe you've never been saved. And I would just beg of you this morning, don't let that that pass you by. And then like so many of us this morning, we're sitting here going, I've been saved a long time, but man, that fire seems to be flickering, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? That fire is a little little low. Maybe this is the morning where you need to renew that commitment to Jesus. Jesus. Think about that, 2023, we're gonna end 2023, start 2024, what better way than renewing our commitment to Jesus? What better way than bowing your knee and getting saved, amen? So the altar is open. I'd ask that you guys would all stand so we can sing together. Actually, sing with Todd. But I would just ask you, the altar's open. Do as the Lord leads, amen?